Sask Ag Today is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner. Sask Ag Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Sask Ag Today. Coming up on today's program, saskagtoday.com Chief Agricultural Editor Kevin Hirsch took part in last week's saskagtoday.com roundtable and he talked about a number of topics. You will hear those topics coming up on today's program. Also, the Chair in Food Systems Leadership with the Ontario Agricultural College at the University of Guelph suggests when farmers discuss the production of food with their non-farming counterparts, they are typically starting off in a much stronger position than they realize. Dr. Michael Von Masso will explain. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of SaskAg Today. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Special. Now moving on to our top story, saskagtoday.com Chief Agricultural Editor Kevin Hirsch took part in Friday's saskagtoday.com roundtable. He talked about the negative impact the federal carbon tax has on farmers. Well, I know that sometimes in the, the argument is linked to the carbon tax is on farmers and that gets passed into the, the cost of food. And certainly there are many things about the carbon tax that, that does increase the price of food. Uh, transportation costs of the processed goods, uh, heating the, the store, a whole bunch of things. But when you think about a, a, a producer paying carbon tax on drying grain, if I dry grain and have to pay a carbon tax, I don't get anything more for that grain at the end of the day. I can't pass that cost along. The carbon tax that's involved in fertilizer manufacturer transportation of the, the fertilizer I use, they, the buyer doesn't care when I go to sell that grain. The same for a beef producer, same for a hog producer. The one exception may be in the supply managed industries of dairy and poultry where if increased costs are captured in the cost of production formula, that might be passed along. But I know we sometimes use that argument that taxing farmers is increasing the price of food and really when you analyze it that's really not a very strong argument in my opinion. He then talked about market analyst Chuck Penner who was a speaker at the Canary Seed Development Commission of Saskatchewan annual general meeting held in Regina last week. Well, Chuck is a, is a great market analyst and we asked him to analyze canary seed and, and he did that but he also touched on, on some other crops and a lot of crop prices have been really dropping. Uh, canola had another bad week and its its prices have really sagged dramatically over the past few months and it's Chuck Penner's opinion that you know that we haven't reached the the seasonal highs for canola he expects some rebound in that and a crop like uh, canary seed exports have been pretty slow so far this crop year but other exports are actually going very well and that would include wheat he says the pace of wheat exports has been very brisk and he believes some uh, firmer prices are coming also for uh, wheat and durum wheat. As for barley, that, that's a tough one. It's been, it's been uh, heading lower all of the time. We've got uh, imported American corn coming in and competing with our barley. We've got uh, 
what was our market in China that's now being supplied by Australia for feed barley. So not much good news on the feed barley front. But he had a couple of other notes that uh, I found interesting. One is that Australia actually produced slightly more red lentils than Canada did this year. We always think of ourselves as the king of lentil production, but Australia this year actually uh, increased their production and were slightly bigger than Canada. And another competitive factor that we have to watch for in the, in the mustard industry is that the U.S. is increasingly growing more of its own mustard rather than importing from Canada. Hirsch also touched on the news that efforts were underway into, in Saskatchewan to deregulate club root as a declared pest in the 2024 growing season. I got a call from somebody concerned that the, heard that the, there was a bill to deregulate gophers, grasshoppers and club root. And it's true that some of the acts are being combined into one act. But, uh, and, but I, I checked with Saskanola and this was actually on club root something that they had requested to take some of the stigma out and some of the reporting requirements out of uh, a club root investigation so that just treat it like any other disease, whether it's versicillium, wilt, or blackleg, or uh, other canola diseases, uh, and uh, want the stigma reduced, uh, yes, still want control measures, but don't make producers feel like they're, they're being stigmatized because they have, uh, they have a club root situation. He says most canola farmers would be happy if club root is deregulated. I think so, because it's before there was some reporting that was required, uh, you, your RM, uh, Rural Municipality, might be able to actually put in bylaws uh, since it was uh, a regulated pest, and now it's uh, considered a disease like any other. And I think our, our knowledge and our control of club root has really improved. They, uh, they have to work at it, but they continue to stay ahead of club root issues by continuing to get club root resistant varieties. And although the species keeps mutating, they seem to be able to keep ahead of it. I don't think it's the disease the, that uh, is to be feared quite as much as a few years ago when the first cases were discovered in Saskatchewan. But they've certainly had a serious problem in, in Alberta, especially in that area north of Edmonton. Hirsch says club root would then be treated the same as other canola diseases. That's right, exactly. Whether sclerotinia or blackleg or, or the new one, verticillium stripe, uh, it, it's just going to be treated like a disease of any other. And good advice and work with your agronomist uh, and other uh, information sources to, to deal with it the best way and monitor it the best way possible. He adds, kosher weed was a topic of discussion at a meeting last week. Yeah, there was an agronomy update that uh, tuned into much of it. And one of the fears I have being from southern Saskatchewan, uh, I think we should almost call it the southern Saskatchewan Christmas tree, is kosher weeds. Man, they're, they're everywhere, particularly after some dry years. And glyphosate resistant, group 2 resistant, uh, they're, they're now 4 or 5 uh, groups that are resistant to a lot of us have turned to group 14 products such as uh, heat or aim or sulfentrazone uh, which is authority to control uh, kosha and those still work but they've now discovered group 14 resistance in west central Saskatchewan and also some confirmed cases south of the US border so kosha is getting to be more and more difficult to control and if you look at how uh, glyphosate resistance in canola has increased over the past decade. 
it won't be too many years until group 14 products won't be effective as well. So I think there's a real need for all sorts of cultural and mechanical and, and maybe some new chemistries and, and uh, more and more uh, herbicide layering. It's going to be a real tough weed to keep in track of. And uh, it seems to be spreading into, into more northern areas as well. Hirsch also commented on a Farm Credit Canada report that suggests the Canadian agriculture industry needs to be more productive. Precision agriculture, more more precisely variable rate application is, is part of it, uh, better irrigation is part of it. One area is too is improved crop varieties and improved genetics and it's actually sad to see that in many instances the, the federal government has backed off on crop breeding programs still do some of the basic breeding work, still involved with a, a few of the specialty crops, but basically wanting to back out of that space and not also providing a, a support or matching support to some of the breeding programs through some of the cluster programs as they did in the past. And, and to me, that's a, that's a missed opportunity. A, a great deal of productivity gain can be on, on the genetic side of, of crop varieties. But he says it's almost impossible to increase agriculture production and cut fertilizer use at this time. Well, I think one is at odds with the other, as we have to take more steps for sustainability reasons or, or change our practices to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. That can be at cross purposes to, to productivity gains. And at some point then, depending where the world is at with its uh, food supply, uh, food security, will that become a bigger issue than greenhouse gas mitigation or how do you balance the two off? So I think there's some competing objectives there. Tough to do both well. Kevin Hirsch is the chief agricultural editor for saskagtoday.com. It's time now for the AgriView portion of our program and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, AgriView. The Manitoba government has inked a deal to chip in $2.9 million toward a sustainable aviation fuel plant to be built in Portage La Prairie. Manitoba Agriculture Minister Ron Custition says this is a cutting-edge project for Manitoba farmers and oilseed processors. Calgary-based firm Azure Sustainable Fuels Corporation plans to use Canadian feedstock like soybean and canola oils to produce as much as 1 billion litres of renewable aviation fuel per year. The province agreed to give $2.9 million over two years via the Sustainable Canadian Agricultural Partnership to Azure's front-end engineering design or feed study. The facility is expected to cost $1.9 billion to build. Once built, it's expected to create 150 jobs and add $2 billion in total impact to the Manitoba economy. Construction is slated to begin in 2025. Canadian lentil stocks are forecast to be extremely tight by the close of the 2023-24 marketing year which should keep prices well supported despite expectations for a smaller export program. Updated supply and demand estimates from Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada pegged lentil carryout for the current crop year at only 50,000 metric tons, 
which would be a third of the previous year's ending stocks and down from the already tight November forecast of 100,000 tons. If realized, that would mark the tightest lentil stock since July of 2010, with a stocks-to-use ratio of only 3%. Large green lentil bids currently top out at 73 cents per pound in Western Canada, with new crop contracts already available as high as 51 cents per pound, according to Prairie Ag Hotwire data. Red lentils are currently priced around 35 to 40 cents per pound, with new crop pricing around 30 cents per pound. Hot and dry growing conditions cut into barley yields in Western Canada in 2023, but the quality was generally good. That's according to the yearly annual harvest report on barley quality from the Canadian Grain Commission, or CGC. Total barley production across the prairies was down by 10% on the year at 8.707 million metric tons, according to the CGC. Average barley yields were placed at 61.3 bushels per acre in western Canada, which was down from 70.5 bushels per acre the previous year and the 10-year average of 66.4 bushels per acre. AAC Synergy was the most popular malting barley variety seeded in western Canada, while the area seeded with CDC Copeland continued to decline. The popularity of newer varieties such as AAC Connect, CDC Fraser and CDC Churchill increased noticeably according to the CGC. The malting barley was generally of good quality with average protein levels steady on the year at 12.3%. That compares with the 10-year average of 11.9%. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is set to restore registration of the insecticide chlorpyrifos after a federal appeals court in November threw out the agency's complete ban on the chemical. The agency announced Tuesday it would re-establish chlorpyrifos tolerance on 11 uses identified by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit in its ruling. The EPA is also engaged in discussions with the registrants to further reduce exposures associated with the 11 uses of chlorpyrifos that were referenced by the Eighth Circuit, a process that will also include taking into account the 2020 draft document and public comments received. The agency is set to again allow chlorpyrifos use on alfalfa, apple, asparagus, tart cherry, citrus, cotton, peach, soybean, strawberry, sugar beet, spring wheat, and winter wheat. Hunger remains a chronic problem in Asia. A new report from the UN Food and Agriculture Organization says that 55 million more people are undernourished in 2022 than before the COVID-19 pandemic. Most of those living without enough to eat are in South Asia, and women tend to be less food secure than men. The paper suggests that natural disasters and disruptions to food supplies, often linked to climate change, have added to those pressures. And SaskAg Today is always available on podcast. Listen to past shows whenever you want. Find them easily by going to gx94radio.com. Also, you can hear the podcast on your Amazon Echo. Just enable the GX94 skill and choose SaskAg Today. And yes, it is free. 
Please stay tuned. Saskag today will return in one minute's time. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for February are trading at 169.90 this hour. That's up 112. April live cattle trading at 173.45, up 77. January feeder cattle trading at 223.15, that's up 125. March feeder cattle trading at 224.82, up 162. February lean hogs trading at 70.02, down 52. April lean hogs trading at 76.97, down 62. And that's the livestock market conditions. The chair in food systems leadership with the Ontario Agricultural College at the University of Guelph suggests when farmers discuss the production of food with their non-farming counterparts, they are typically starting off in a much stronger position than they realize. Dr. Michael von Masso says consumers tend to trust farmers and feel good about the agriculture industry, but they have no idea what the industry does. The bottom line is consumers know that they trust producers, but what they don't know is really what producers do. Consumers have a very poor understanding of how we produce food. And I think that that creates a tension. They feel good about the industry, but they have no idea what the industry does. And that leads to potential for surprises. He says producers need to use the right words when talking about agriculture. Nomenclature matters from a couple of reasons. We can use the wrong words in some cases. If you look at, uh, you know, when we talk about gestation crates in the pork industry or when we talked about battery cages or enriched cages in the layer industry, we're using words that aren't necessarily positive in the minds of consumers. So people hear gestation crate, they hear a crate. That, you know, and, and, you know, crate doesn't have a positive connotation for, for, where we, for where an animal lives. And so we need to think about those sorts of things. The other part of nomenclature is where agriculture has an, has an advantage. And that's in the face of some of the new challenges that, that are coming in. You know, we did some work where we looked at the word sausage and to see if the word pork in front of sausage created more value. And in fact, it didn't. And so the initial response was, oh, that's not good news. But if we thought about it a little bit, that means when people hear the word sausage, they automatically think pork. So the word sausage is a positive thing, and we own that as a pork industry. Whereas if someone says this is a vegan sausage, all of a sudden it goes down because we're modifying it. So, so I think that, that there are good words to use, and some disadvantages we have, and there are bad words, uh, sorry, bad words to use, and some disadvantages we have, and some good words to use, like sausage, like burger, like steak, uh, like pork chop, that are, that are positive and, and really, in the minds of consumers, are associated with animal agriculture. And, and, and so nomenclature in those circumstances protects us. Von Masso says plant-based products aren't fooling today's consumers. It's pretty clear in some of those cases they're saying, oh, well, no, you're not fooling us. We're not going to do that. In some of those cases, it's leading to confusion. And I think uh, an example from away from pork is milk, right? We, you, in Canada, you're not 
we often use the term almond milk or oat milk, but you're not allowed to use that uh, from a regulatory perspective. And it's, and it's clear that if you use the term milk, A, the default is we think of that from a dairy cow, but it also comes with a certain expectation of nutrition and, and things. So I think that, that we need to be careful how we, uh, how we think about those things in terms of setting expectations in the consumer's mind. So I don't think the threat is big because we own that space, but we need to be careful in terms of what the expectations are. But he says there are implications for producers of animal-based proteins. Well, I, th I think we just need to continue to, to recognize that we're the leaders, right? That we, we set the standard and, and, uh, and behave in a way. We, we may need to adapt going forward if there are some things that, that we're doing that, that, that consumers aren't comfortable with. But I, I think we need to, 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 to start from a position of confidence to say, yes, uh, there, are, there are other competitors coming in, but they're comparing themselves to us we can highlight the differences, but I think we should also spend some time accentuating the positives and the reasons that people have historically eaten the animal products, right? It, you know, I, I put up a slide in my presentation today that showed that, uh, uh, that even people who declare as vegans and vegetarians are often cheating with meat. And, and so what we need to recognize in that circumstance is that, that people like, you know, not everybody, but most people like the taste of meat. And, and we need to reiterate why they're eating it. We need to reiterate the benefits. We need to reiterate the nutrition. We need to reiterate the tradition. Uh, you know, you know, we're, you know, we, barbecues, Sunday dinners, you know, ham dinners, those sorts of things that, that are not just flavor experiences, but are cultural experiences. And remember that we're starting from a position of strength. And so not just differentiating ourselves from those things, but reiterating the good things that we, that we do. Vaughn Masso tells us what consumers need to know about genetically modified and gene-edited food technology. Gene editing is a significant opportunity for improvement in uh, nutritional value, in environmental impact, in animal welfare. And, and But if we talk to them about gene editing today, they're hesitant. They don't understand it well. They don't, you know, I think it's probably even worse in the current environment coming out of COVID with skepti skepticism of science. But I think if we engage consumers, if we talk to them about what we're doing and why we're doing it and what the benefits are, I think we have the opportunity to, to move the needle. We're not going to snap our fingers and say it's better, but, but we need to recognize that there's some sensitivity there and, and be strategic in how we communicate back to them what the value of these technologies are. These technologies have a real opportunity to, to uh, address issues that are critiques of animal agriculture, emissions, welfare, uh, and those sorts of things, uh, uh, and, and emerge stronger uh, by articulating the value of these, of these technologies. He says as consumers become more educated about new approaches to protein-based products, it's hard to say how that will impact agriculture. The answer to that is it depends. 
Uh, and, and that's why I've always advocated that we need to have an exchange of ideas, right? There are some, agriculture has a, in Canada has a profoundly good story to tell, and we should be telling that story. Now, there might be some things that consumers say, you know what, we're not comfortable with that, and then we'll have to have a discussion to say, uh, well, we're, we can't or won't change, and we might lose that consumer, or here's how we'll change and come up to an agreement. It isn't just about saying, here's what we do it, take it or leave it. I think there's a real opportunity to engage, to tell our story, and to be willing to adapt if people say, well, no, we're not, we're not entirely comfortable with that, and that's their right. And then we have the right to say, yep, we'll change that, or some of us will change that, or no, we can't change that, and unfortunately, we'll lose that customer. So I think the answer to your question is, it depends on specifically the issue we're talking about. Vaughn Masso says communication is the key. I think that everyone in agriculture has a real opportunity to tell their story. You know, and it's not all of us don't have to be active on social media or have a blog or, or that sort of thing, but it's taking advantage of the opportunities to tell your story. If it's to one person, if it's to 10, if it's a room full of, uh, of 500, tell the story. We, the conversation about food is happening whether agriculture is at the table or not. We should be telling our story. And he explains how anyone interested can get more information. Well, I think there are lots of places to get information. They can reach out to me. They can find me at foodfocusguelph.ca, which is my blog. Uh, listen to the podcast. Uh, you can find my email uh, on the university website, and I'm, I'm happy to engage. But, you know, a lot of these producer organizations, these processor organizations, and even the retailers are doing a much better job of sharing information. So ask Take a look at what's available. There are resources there that can help you communicate or help you learn. Dr. Michael Von Masso is the Chair of Food Systems Leadership with the Ontario Agricultural College at the University of Guelph. Please stay tuned. Your Commodities Update is coming up next. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading up across the board this hour. January canola trading at 645.40, up $2.50. March canola trading at 658.70, up $2.20. March Minneapolis wheat trading at 717 and a quarter, down 11 cents. March Kansas City wheat trading at 625 and three quarters down 15 and three quarters of a cent. March Chicago wheat trading at 611 and a quarter down 11 and a half cents. March corn trading at 469 and a half down three and a quarter cents. January soybeans trading at 1311 and a quarter down one and a quarter cents. March oats trading at 379 and a half down five and three quarters of a cent. And that's the commodities update. 15,000 packages of dry soup mix made with lentils and oats will be in Christmas hampers distributed by the Saskatoon and Regina food banks. The science behind the soup mix is based on a research project led by Dr. Michael Nickerson, the acting head of the Department of Food and Bioproduct Sciences in the College of Agriculture and Bioresources 
at the University of Saskatchewan. In the original project, researchers investigated the protein quality of pulse and cereal crops and how to process them into food aid products for use in Ethiopia. Earlier this year, Dr. Nickerson and the Saskatchewan Food Development Centre worked together on a project to use that research to develop a healthy soup mix using Saskatchewan-grown crops. Both projects, you know, really focused on the protein quality and the blending of pulses and oats. One of the differences in the Ethiopia project, these were really targeted for children that have issues with acute malnutrition. So they were also fortified heavily with vitamins and minerals. So someone can consume this lipid-based supplement product that we produced, and that would be one package per day, and the, and the kids could survive on that. It provides all the growth and nutrition for that individual. So it, it was a different product, but the commonality is the, the blending of the pulses and cereals and, and understanding what impact does you know, cooking uh, and processing have on those nutritional values. He tells us which pulses were used in the Saskatchewan product. We targeted uh, lentils and oats. You know, there are a number of different uh, pulses that we could have chose. Lentil was really important, um, especially for the Saskatchewan Food Bank. A lot of the, or almost all the ingredients for this product are are donated by uh, food bank partners. So we had uh, basically a large almost continuous supply of donations for the grains, uh, such as lentils. We took what was donated and, and finally the value-added use to make it more consumer acceptable to make these soup uh, products. Nickerson says the soup is tasty. Oh, it's really good. Uh, they did a great job at the food center. It has a really nice texture on, on your palate, so it has a, a soft yet crunchy taste to it. And the soup, we actually have a vegan chicken flavor soup mix that you could or or may choose not to add to the soup. And that really uh, adds to the flavor. Now, we chose the the vegan uh, chicken flavoring so we can hit a wider range of uh, clients from a diverse background. You know, in Saskatchewan, like all across Canada, we're getting more multicultural. Individuals coming from different countries may restrict consumption of meat products. So this has a a really nice flavor, but more widely acceptable to the larger community. He tells us how much soup was made. So in this particular run was a pilot run. Uh, We produced 15,000 of these units, and each unit can feed a family of four or five and it makes five cups of soup per package. So we're really excited about this initial run. Uh, it's gone out in Christmas hampers uh, and to food bank clients. And now we're looking to to shape the next round of scaling up. We really believe that we can scale this across the country, not only to feed uh, food banks in Saskatchewan, but across Canada. So we're looking to partner uh, with the, the National Food Bank uh Uh, Canada Association for Distribution. We're looking for partners to scale up. We're aiming for 3 million of these units in the next round of production. And so we're looking for partners to sort of secure that scale up phase to, to feed more families. Nickerson expands on who he means by partners. I think there's a lot of potential partners and stakeholders. Uh, There's a lot of interest in in obviously agriculture and agricultural commodities. And there's so many different companies and potential partners in that space in terms of developing 
oats and cereals right from the farmer level to grow organizations to companies and, and then partners in terms of packaging and, and transportation and processing. And then you have also a food bank stakeholders that donate money. So there, there's a whole range of stakeholders that were sort of initial stage of exploring and attracting uh, to this initiative, which, which is being led by the uh, uh, primarily the Regina Food Bank uh, in, in Regina area. He says a corporate partner would be preferable. Absolutely. Like, I feel very privileged that I can put food on the uh, on the table for my family and, and my kids. But a lot of families in Saskatchewan uh, and across Canada, they, they can't. Uh, cost of food is increasing. The inflation is really high. And people can't afford food. And sometimes you may not recognize it. I think one in five families are food insecure in Saskatchewan. So we grow enough food and we always promote, you know, we need to feed the world and we have so much agricultural commodities, but, you know, people are suffering here and we can't forget that. And so this project is about caring for communities. It's about developing this product that really can help. So there's a, a corporate social responsibility story here to take part in this initiative. We have so much food and so many families in need locally as well as around the world. Nickerson adds that soup can be a base for a larger meal. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it can add other things to that too. Uh, you know, meat, you can add uh, other vegetables, you know, to, to change the makeup of it. So it's a really good base product that, as you said, it could be served uh, in a wider meal to help support families depending on what uh, other foods they have access to. And he expects the next batch of soup will likely be larger. Yeah, and, and part of the, uh, the small run was also developing the soup, but also working out some of the processing challenges associated with packaging, sample size, all this stuff, so, and costing. So it's not just about production, it's about doing pilot-scale runs to understand the processing challenges and costs to actually make a sustainable product at the other end. Because ultimately, we need this ingredient to be cost-effective and sustainable so we can keep on producing this. Dr. Michael Nickerson with the University of Saskatchewan, along with the Food Development Centre in Saskatoon, have developed a soup mix made from lentils and oats. It's being distributed in Christmas hampers at the Saskatoon and Regina food banks. The long-term goal is to see the pilot project expand across the country. Please stay tuned. Your Farm Bulletin Board will be coming up right after this. Farm Bulletin Board. You can place a bid on grassland restoration with the Saskatchewan Stock Growers Foundation. That's if you're interested in seeding cultivated land back to native prairie. You can place a bid in their reserve auction for an opportunity to receive financial compensation for your restoration project. By restoring grasslands, you increase long-term grazing resources and biodiversity and reduce habitat fragmentation for species at risk, especially in areas of critical habitat. Now remember, bidding closes on January 31st, 2024. You can contact the Saskatchewan Stock Growers Foundation to learn more about the reverse auction process and how to place a bid. Simply go to www.ssgf.ca. 
You can email them at communications at ssgf.ca or just simply phone them at 306-530-1385. And that's for the Grasslands Restoration Project. And once again, bidding closes on January 31st. And don't forget the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission is holding their 2024 annual general meeting at the Western Development Museum in Saskatoon. Producers and observers may register to attend the AGM in person or online. A registered wheat producer who is a producer who has paid a check off to Sask Wheat in one or more of the previous two crop years and has not requested a refund in the most recent year a checkoff was paid, is eligible to vote on motions and introduce and second resolutions. Voting will be available for those attending online and in person. Producers and industry representatives from private and government organizations may attend G the AGM as observers. So once again, that Sask Wheat Development Commission AGM will be held on January 9th, 2024 at the Western Development Museum in Saskatoon. It runs from 9 until 11 a.m. It's now 1 o'clock. Time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Cloudy with a 30% chance of flurries, especially over western Manitoba. Winds southeast at 20 to 35, gusting over 50 at times, and a high of minus 5 degrees. For tonight, partly cloudy. Winds south-southeast at 15 to 25 and diminishing, a low of minus 7. For tomorrow, mainly sunny, winds northeast at 10 to 20, a high of 0, an overnight low of minus 7. For Friday, mainly sunny, winds south-southeast at 10 to 20, a high of plus 1. For Saturday, mainly sunny, a high of plus 3, and Sunday, mainly sunny, a high of minus 3. In the Paw and Swan River, it's minus 12 degrees. Dauphin is at minus 11. Brandon, minus 10. Show Lake Russell, minus 9. Roblin, minus 13. Regina is at minus 3 degrees. Saskatoon, minus 1. Hudson Bay, minus 11. Broadview, Mooseman, minus 7. Indian Head, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, minus 5. The Yorkton-Melville region has a cloudy sky, a south-southeast wind at 28, gusting to 50 kilometers an hour. 83% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 7 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 15 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for SaskAg today for today. But uh, don't forget to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. SaskEgg Today has been brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner.